Hello and welcome to the third and final installment of the Nerd Herd. First off, we would like to thank Europe for the song Final Countdown, which led us off today. Today we got another great episode, like always, featuring our three segments. Our first segment, we'll be talking about a scholarly article called The Psychiatrist for Right, Anomic Alienation and Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, and that's by Kevin Brown. It's mouthful. Yeah, it's definitely mouthful. But we're going to get a great analysis of that piece. And then we're transitioning into evaluating just like some tactic, tactics Vonnegut uses in chapters <coughs> 8 through 10, and just some interesting stuff in those chapters. And then we'll finish this off with a great interview with Mr. Valpone, just about like Jesus in the novel and how they were discussing Kilgore Trout's uh, time tra- book where a time traveler went back to witness Jesus' death. And once again, we'd like to thank Mr. Valpone, and we're going to have a great interview with him. So, we will start our first segment on the Scholarly Article right after Crazy by Nars Barkley. Alright, so first off, to start off this podcast, uh, we're going to analyze the Scholarly Article uh, titled The Psychiatrists Were Right, Anomic Alienation, and Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five by uh, Kevin Brown. Um, So, Darwin, what do you think about, is there anything significant about this piece? Well, on the second page of the piece, I found a really interesting quote about uh, how Billy Pilgrim's uh, deep underlying issues are often uh, they're caused by his, how he's usually uh, isolated or left alone, mm-hmm. how many people have left him in his life. Um, the quote I have states that the roots of his alienation originate in his early family life and continue through the war, then to his marriage. Other characters also suffer from also suffer from anomic isolation, and Vonnegut uses them to shore up his up his presentation of an America of an, of an America where we have become isolated from one another. So basically, it was just about how Billy is often like a lot of people. How he's usually he as like in the end of the book he's alone. Um, he usually he's always like uh in in the war, the people that he was with they ditched him. Weary uh Roland Weary died and he hated him anyway, so he kind of left mm-hmm. him too, and. Towards uh, when he started writing the letters to the, about the travel Midorians to the newspaper, he was basically he was alone by himself. Besides for his daughter who would come by to visit, and she sort of resented him too because she saw his him as more of a problem than as mm. a father. And that's a uh, I feel like and he's uh, and the piece just talks about how that's a really big uh, problem with how he, the way he thinks and that's how it affects him. So Brown's main thing, like what I got away from this is that he wanted to analyze both, like, the feeling of, like, how Billy was alone and the effects that has on people. So, like, he takes away that the main thing that people, like, take away from this novel is just the PTSD portion of it. Mm -hmm. He acknowledges that that's a portion of, like, Billy's problems, but it's not, like, the cause of all his problems. Like, there's another underlying cause that, like, some psychiatrists also, like, diagnose him with, and he's agreeing with them and analyzing this, like, in the novel, like, how the, these things affect him throughout the novel. So they mentioned, like, early on how, like, being left alone could affect him by the example of his father teaching him how to swim, and it was, like, swim or sink technique. His, like, father... Yeah, he actually, threw him in the pool. Yeah, he was like, mm-hmm. all right, threw him in the pool, and if you, Kobe. If you learn how to swim, you're going to live. But and that, like, traumatized him. Yeah, that, like, his father, like, not being willing to, like, care for him, that kind of traumatizes him. And then just, like, throughout the war, like, the three musketeers, like, they kind of wanted to leave him behind, and just all the times mm-hmm. that he didn't feel like he fit in, that could have a greater impact, like, on the PTSD, like, than the PTSD. Like, yeah, that still was affecting him, 
but this like being alone was a greater like impact to him and like that's Brown's main point throughout this is like we can't just ignore the fact that like it's all PTSD which a lot of people just want to analyze through this novel we also need to analyze the fact that like so many times in Billy Pilgrim's life he's like left alone it's interesting that like he emphasizes um going alone because when a lot of people are um left by themselves like say they're put in solitary confinement in prison like they tend to you know start losing their mind they they go insane people need human interaction and so what this offer points out is um like that being alone and stuff is uh like really not good for the mental health uh like billy you know begins to go crazy people interpret him going crazy as you know we're talking about the trial famidorians and all this aliens and stuff when this actually is happening to him but still the fact that he is like constantly left out he's constantly alone at, uh, as a child and um throughout the war that um like it affects his mental health and it makes him go crazy and maybe that is an interpretation of either why he sees the trail Famidorians or, like, why they abduct him or how he interprets them. Yeah, just, like, another quote in this piece, like, to analyze his relationship with his family. Uh, on the third page of this document, it says, uh, Billy's relationship with both his mother and his father provides no fami familiar comfort or support at any point in this book. In fact, their only mentions are negative, leaving him isolated throughout his childhood. So this shows how his, like, childhood experiences of being, like, left alone affects him, like, later in the novel. And it also could leave him more susceptible to, like, PTSD and just, like, mm -hmm. more crippling effects later in the story that he has to, like, go through and then just, like, being left alone. Like, he noticed these effects, uh, like, it also states in this, but he also noticed these effects when he was, like, marrying someone that he didn't really like. Yeah. He kind of noticed himself going crazy. And maybe it was just to him to, like, realize that, like, he wanted someone around. Yeah. And, like, his body just company. wanting any company. Yeah. So, like, his willingness to just do, like... Yeah, he sort of just made up his own, like, imaginary friends, kind of, with the child family. Yeah. <laughs> someone to relate to. Yeah, so Billy's, like, main thing in this whole thing. Like, we can't just, like... We obviously acknowledge the fact that he has PTSD because, like, he went yeah. through this terrible event like in Dresden and that's gonna and leave also, a scar on him. also the uh sink or swim moment that caused yeah him. and uh the plane PTSD. crash yeah he's the only survivor so he's definitely gone through a lot of PTSD moments but it's also these moments of feeling alone and that could really have an impact on people and just uh in this article it wants us to draw attention to that fact as well all right so next up we'll be having our uh, analysis and like just a discussion on chapters eight through ten after for the third episode in a row because it's a great song. What's on your mind by Information Society? Uh oh. Okay, for the next segment, we are going to talk about our literary analysis. So first thing I'm going to talk about is the repetition of Wild Bob. Very confusing. As, as in, yeah, it was really confusing. A lot of times in uh chapters eight through ten, he always talked about. Asking about Wild Bob, if you're ever in this part of the woods or whatever. Uh, could you find the quote, Nick? Yeah, well, the first time he mentions Wild Bob, I'm throwing it back to, like, chapter three. Uh, this okay. is all the way back to chapter three. This is the first mention of Wild Bob. It's just, like, him in the actual war. It's me, boys. It's Wild Bob. That's it. Uh, that's what he always wanted his troops to call him, Wild Bob. And that's, like, when they first started talking to him. And he just, like, said that whenever they go to Cody, Wyoming, uh, ask for, like, Wild Bob. So that's where they start mentioning him. And then in, like, chapter 10, chapter 9, uh, they ask him again. And then uh, 
later in the text, uh, in chapter 9 on page 366, uh, Billy Pilgrim says again, If you're ever in Cody, Wyoming, said Billy Pilgrim, behind his white linen screens, just ask for Wild Bob. Lily Rumford shuddered, went on pretending to read Harry, Harry Tub, uh, Truman thing. And then later in chapter 10, uh, he says like the same thing. Uh, if, you're ever, if you're ever in Cody, Wyoming, Cody, I Wyoming. said to him lazily, just ask for Wild Bob. He said this to O'Hare. So it's just like a throwback to the war. And I don't like it's interesting. Just, uh, like, why does he even say it? Is the thing. It's just random. Like, they're not even talking really about Wild Bob, but just this reference back to like chapter three. He keeps throwing in this like name from the war. Like, I don't know if he's mm-hmm. like reliving his war experiences during this time. Or it's like, like a tick, like a trigger memory. And it's like, I, yeah, I think he's just like reminiscing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? There's Not always necessarily like, in a bring it up way. like you know, sort of like a someone who ever like someone who peaks. Well, this is just another example, like someone who peaked in high school. You know, whenever they talk about high school sports, he's always gonna talk about like something awesome he did in high school. Maybe like, he oh. idolized Wild Bob then, like during the war. Maybe yeah, maybe that was like just that he yeah, Wild Bob maybe. and he wanted to see he, him like, again. He, ended, he went back to Wyoming. He had a simple life. I don't know, like maybe yeah. that's just someone like looked up to him. Like that's just one vivid memory he has of. Yeah, if it's I ever like, visit so this in, random town in Wyoming, it was so ingrained which, in him. Wyoming may or may not exist. We don't know. Yeah, but uh, if he ever goes to that <laughs> random town, uh, maybe he'll ask for Wild Bob. Like I don't know. Somehow this sticks to his mind, and he just keeps mentioning it throughout the time. Uh, yeah, maybe it's just like it was so ingrained in him when he like was his in the army yeah. that like he just got into the habit of saying it when he introduced pe- to like to people like, "Hey, if ever in Cody, Wyoming, you know, visit Wild Bob." But like, yeah. I don't know. Um. Also, I just looked up. Uh, Cody, Wyoming is an actual place. Oh uh, yes, it. And it's uh, it's uh, and it's named after Colonel William Frederick Buffalo Bill Cody. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So, and then say. also something really interested. It was repeated a few times throughout the book. Uh, Pooty tweet, but it specifically at the ending of the book, like it ended on it. Ending on that, like. Kind of same dot nowhere. It's just like a bird's a. I felt like it was a very abrupt what? ending. Yeah, it was just like pooty tweet. It was like, and also chapter ten itself was very short. Just like it was like only, yeah, it was only, only like, like ten pages. pages. Yeah, yeah, fifteen pages. It was just like. Do you guys really feel this book had an end? Like, yeah, it didn't really end because I think that's kind I mean, of the point. It kind of it kind of did end because you know there's he's the whole thing is about Dresden and he makes it to like what happened after yeah. the bombing and then just looking at the devastation. You know what I mean? What else is there? Or like in the next yeah. door town. It's just, like, also, even, if, like, if it didn't have an ending, that would make sense because, like, you know, he, he wasn't sad about, like, his wife dying or whoever. He wasn't sad about someone dying because... So it goes. Yeah, so it's it goes like, because, like, ah, oh, they're alive at some other point in time. You know, they they still exist at some other point in time. So, like, and maybe that would kind of make sense, like, also, the book is still existing. Also, early in the book, like, in the beginning when they first... I think it was when they first say pooty tweet, pooty wheat or whatever... It was like he was talking about massacres and like just like devastating events and he says What do the birds say? All there is to say about a massacre, things like pooty wheat tweet. Pooty it says it's wheat, okay. Is it? Yeah. Pooty that's wheat. uh that's page forty five. Pretty wheat. And then I, I so I I think that's just like he's just saying that like there's nothing really anyone can really do about it after these devastating events happen. Like mm-hmm. I mean you can't change you can't change it. You can't change the past. It's sort of just like it's just like yeah. you just gotta move on, you know. The birds they don't acknowledge just like like just they just go on. Yeah, they just go on. And they don't. Oh they yeah, don't they mourn. don't mourn. I think the symbolism of the bo- the birds like kind of like peaceful, and just like birds tweeting in the morning, like that's kind of like a peaceful thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's like the closing of Billy kind of ending in like a pretty good.
good state. Like, I don't know. He's in a good he's state. He's like in a good state because like Yeah, he's insane. I don't know. But it's just like an interesting thing to examine like this putty putty tweet wheat way to end the the book, I don't know. Alright, so uh, yeah, transitioning into another part of analyzing chat <laughs> I I don't know if that's even a word, but we're gonna go with it. Chapters eight through ten. Uh the prayer on the necklace in the picture. Of which Montana pr- Wild Hack. Which <laughs> we say this prayer actually every day in uh physics class. Shout out Miss Mallet. Yeah, so uh it's interesting to see this in this book and like the significance in the book and why it's also it's they, also repeated multiple times throughout the story if I'm not wrong because um earlier on he says it so obviously repetition's a big part of Barnegat's style. Yeah, it's the serenity prayer. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things mm-hmm. I cannot change. Change the courage to change, change, change the things, things that I can, can and wisdom to know the difference. difference. Oh, yes. man. There we go. Uh, but like, I feel like this has a lot to do with the Trevor Dorian's. Like, through his time traveling experience, he has the knowledge to know the things that he can and cannot change. Ooh, yeah, exactly. So that's Boom. right there. Like he saw, like with the button pressing, how like the world will end. Yeah, with the we press this button yeah. every time. Billy has this knowledge that. He can't change this. Like, he knows when right. he's gonna die. He yeah. knows when his wife's he gonna die. He can't change these things. He knows that he's gonna get on a plane that's gonna crash. Mm-hmm. He he doesn't avoid any of it. He just is like, oh, so it goes. Yeah, like these yeah. things are like meant to happen. Like some things in life are gonna be inevitable. Like you can't control. Mm-hmm. But it also brings a recognition, like just through this prayer. Like I don't know if Billy Pilgrim really understands this message because like he never really has this breakthrough moment. But like, what I take away from this prayer is like there's gonna be big things that happen in life, but like. Thanks. At the present moment, there could be little things that you could change, like helping another person. You have the consciousness and like cognitive ability to be able to help another person and just be be better for another person. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, good talk. Okay. <laughs> All now, right. So, next segment. Um, we're gonna go to the next segment, which is our interview with Mr. Valpony. Uh, we're gonna have a nice bumper. Kind of relates to both Mr. Valpony in a few ways. Mr. Valpony, yes. Love that song. Yeah. People Are Crazy by Billy Currington. I know you love country, Mr. (laughs) Valpo. All right, now welcome to our interview with Mr. Valpony, a fellow uh, God lover and beer enthusiast (laughs) as a song. As you just heard in that last song. Yeah. So today we'll be talking about uh, just like the mention of Jesus in this novel. So they mentioned how they, to like find faith in Jesus, they had to go back in time and like put the stuff go stuff to go to him to make sure he like actually died and just like their lack of faith like having to go back just to make sure he died so we're just here to interview Mr. Valpone our theology teacher who like been teaching us a lot about this religion this year like his take on people having to go back just to make sure like Jesus was dead like what does that like say about their faith and like if you had the chance to be a time traveler would you go back to like Jesus's time just like make sure or do you believe in your faith like enough to yeah that's a tough question I think partially growing up in the 20th and 21st century uh, kind of a heavy emphasis on skepticism and a heavy emphasis on doubt and kind of scientific exploration would make me want to go back if I had the opportunity I think I probably would want to go back I don't know if I'd necessarily need to you know whether it's you know put a stethoscope to Christ's chest or like pull a Thomas and stick a finger in a wound or something but I would very much willingly probably take the opportunity to see what had all these people so interested in, in Christ. Yeah, and like, 
like seeing the miracles and stuff like that, like all the stuff that Jesus did, would you like need to see one of those too? Would you see? You would wanna. I don't know. I think I would really just want to see him preach. At the end see of the day, preach. I think the miracles and the resurrection matter a little bit less to me, and maybe that's a little blasphemous after Easter, but I, I'd be much more interested to hear kind of his message. Christ mm-hmm. is a very prophetic figure, and that's always what I've kind of concerned myself with. Um, there was also a quote from the book, from uh, Kilgore Trout's book in the, in the book. Um, it's, uh, it's saying that the time, the time traveler whose name Lance, who was Lance Corwin also got to measure the length of Jesus, but not the weight of him. Jesus was five feet and three and a half inches long, and that's on page 396 in my book. Um, do you think that his height, like, do you think that meant something that Vonnegut uh, had to mention that? Do you think that's accurate, too? Or? Yeah, I mean, from what I've gathered, like, I'm no uh, biblical archaeologist, but people were relatively short back then. <laughs> As for what it means, probably nothing. I think it's, yeah. I, I haven't read at least that particular section in a long time, so I would need to think about what could 5-3 really symbolize, but at the end of the day, probably yeah, nothing, I, I don't know, maybe. I just thought it was a really weird thing to mention. And then throughout this novel, it kind of, Billy Pilgrim, they like question his faith a lot, like he grew up really with no faith, but he had like a crucifix on the wall, Yeah. and it's just like interesting to examine like people without faith, like their take on like Jesus and just like the whole story and like as a theology teacher yourself and like obviously a very outgoing like Catholic and really going in your faith and everything, what would you have to say to like people that are unsure about the faith, about like the Christian faith and like just Catholicism? Yeah, uh, you know, the Catholic Church has really concerned itself maybe over the past thousand years with evangelization. It's not necessarily what I've kind of considered my mission. I'm not really concerned about helping other people who are outside the faith. My goal has always been helping people that are inside the faith be more intelligent about it. Um, Kind of the major thinker about that is uh, Bart Ehrman. He wrote a lot on the historical Jesus. He's an atheist historian who studies the time period of what's known as the Second Temple. And um, basically, he kind of always puts it like 95% of historians agree. Jesus was a living, breathing human being. Whether or not he did miracles, rose from the dead, that's debatable. And like that is a question of faith. But whether or not there is a historical person whose name is Jesus Christ and these 12 disciples who grew up in... Uh, Palestine during that time period that's a very very much a historically kind of agreed upon fact and so I think that's always an interesting one to start with and say you know within a hundred years Christianity spreads like wildfire across Europe and so we have to kind of ask ourselves the question like why is that what about this message led people to be willing to sell this new religion yeah and it's kind of it's interesting how like when Going back to the time traveler, um, on page 393, uh, he says that it, when the man actually went back, it worked and he saw Jesus when Jesus was only 12 years old. Jesus was learning the carpentry trade from his father, which is interesting because um, this man who invented the time machine chose to go back to Jesus's like childhood, which you know is not common knowledge at all. No one really knows what went down through his childhood, so it's interesting to see how like. People just want to know anything there is to know about Jesus, even when it's his childhood when he wasn't, you know, doing his, like, miracles every, you know, week or whatnot. whatnot. Yeah, that'd be definitely an interesting time, I think, for people who are very devout in Christianity. They'd want to go see the major stories, but there is something to be said about, you know, what was this Jesus guy like between the age of 1 and 12 and then between the ages of 12 and 30? uh, Those are time periods that people don't often talk about. I think this book, like, the 
Trout, like when he mentions this story about Jesus that he wrote about, I think it represents a lot of people's like belief in Jesus. Like they believe that he was real. They just want to make sure for themselves. They yeah. would love the opportunity to go back in time yeah. and see like all these miracles and whether or not Jesus really died and resurrected. So not only representing it for Billy Pilgrim, because Billy Pilgrim obviously takes a lot from this book from Kilgore Trout. I feel like it's a common understanding for all Christians, just all people in general. They hear a lot about this Jesus guy and they just want to like know more about him. So uh, through this book, the mention of this book, uh, Vonnegut is really like appealing to the reader, like their own knowledge about Jesus and what extent they would go to learn more about their faith. So uh, we'd like to thank Mr. Valpone for taking the time to conduct this interview during this podcast. Thank you, Mr. Valpone. Thank you so much. And thanks for joining us in our three episodes uh, for the Nerd Herd. Uh, we've been appreciating your listening all the time. And to go out, uh, we have the song Go Out, go, go Out, out go, go Out, Go Out by Chris Steffen. Oh, no, 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 not, not Chris. <laughs> Curtis Steffen. Curtis Steffen. Curtis Steffen. Curtis. Curtis. Thank you. All right, peace. All right. Peace out, boys. Nerd, nerd, nerd.